Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning. Good morning to everyone in the video venue. Good morning to everyone who's watching online. Glad that you're here with us today. Uh, one of my all-time favorite things to do is to watch movies. It's always been this way. I know some people love movies. Some people don't seem to watch any movies. I love movies. I love all kinds of movies. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I like clever movies. I like movies with really impressive special effects. Uh, I've been guilty of watching some of the bonus features that talk about, you know, what the actors actually see when they're saying their lines and then what we see when the movie's on the big screen. I think it's, it's really interesting how they put it all together. I know that if you've been coming here for any length of time that my dad has talked about his infamous, you know, five favorite movies that you only know four of because he won't tell you the fifth one because it's too embarrassing. Um, I know the fifth one, but I'm not going to tell you, so don't get excited. I just wanted to throw it out there, let you know that I know. Um, have a little fun today. Well, I can remember going to the movies with my family when I was younger, you know, my dad, my mom, my sister, and I. And I can remember that when we did this, one of my goals, usually the most important goal for me, was that I got to sit somewhere in the middle. Now, that's not hard. There were only four of us, but I wanted to sit somewhere in the middle. And the reason that I wanted to do this was because I knew that if I got to sit somewhere in the middle, then I had a better chance of holding the popcorn. I mean, all life comes down. What does it come down to? Location, location, location. Popcorn at the movie theater is no different. I knew that if I got to sit in the middle, then I had a better chance of holding the popcorn. And if I got to hold the popcorn, that meant that it was a good day. Unless I had to sit by my dad. Now, my mom and my sister, they wouldn't eat a whole lot, so it was great for me. But when I sat next to my dad, he would just take handfuls and handfuls at a time and seems to shovel it in his mouth. And this would bother me as a kid because I wanted to savor it. I wanted to make sure that when the popcorn ended, the movie ended and everything was in perfect harmony. And so, you know, as a child, what would I do? I'd put my arms around the bag of popcorn and I would look up at my dad and I would say, stop eating my popcorn. And he'd look down at me and say, when you can pay for the popcorn, you can decide how it gets eaten. I'm sure that I'm not the only one who has ever had some kind of experience like that. Maybe you can remember acting that way when you were a child. Maybe it wasn't popcorn. Maybe it was something else. Maybe you have experienced that with your own children where you give them something and then it's theirs and they don't want you to have it anymore even though you didn't have to give it to them in the first place. I was guilty of being greedy. Even though it's just popcorn, I was guilty of being greedy because we would go to the movies, my dad would buy our whole family a bag of popcorn, then he'd let me hold it, and then I would make sure that I had to share as little of it as possible. I was greedy. It was mine. This morning, as we continue our financial freedom series, we're talking about the reality of choice, the choices that we have and the choices that we make when it comes to our money. I had a choice to be generous with the popcorn that was given to me as a child, and I did not always make the right choice. Obviously, we're talking about how our choices relate to our finances. We have several choices. I hope you realize that we have several choices. 
when it comes to our money. But before we read anything in the Bible, before I talk about any points, before we do anything else, I want to begin with a simple question that I think lays out the most important choice we have. Are we going to be greedy or are we going to be giving? Are we going to be greedy or are we going to be giving? There's lots of specifics, there's lots of details, there's lots of situational things that we can talk about, but at the end of the day, I think this broad question that kind of covers everything like an umbrella is important for us to ask ourselves. Are we going to be greedy or are we going to be giving? So far, we've looked at attitude. That was the letter A. What's our attitude toward money? What should our attitude be toward money? After that, we talked about bondage, the bondage of debt, and how that prevents us from living the life and doing the things that God wants for us. I should say the bondage of foolish debt, because some debts are not as foolish as others. And this morning, we're talking about the choice to honor God with our wealth. We have a choice to honor God with our wealth. And we're going to talk about this by looking at a familiar story from the Gospels. So if you haven't done this already, go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 19 and just hold your place in verse 1. Luke 19, verse 1. This is the story of Zacchaeus. I'm sure that it's a story many, if not all of you know. If you grew up in church, chances are you're singing or humming the song that goes with the story in your head right now. You can just keep that to yourself. Uh, I'm not going to sing anything this morning. Uh, You should thank me for that. And so I don't want you guys to sing anything right now either. But this is where I want us to begin today. We're going to read this account. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And what we're going to do is use his story as a foundation to talk about the effect that money can have on us and the choices that we have in regard to money. Even though we're going to look at the life of Zacchaeus, or rather just the story of Zacchaeus, it's not so much a sermon about him as we're using him as an illustration for us to look at these broader truths about money. This is not going to be verse by verse through his life, though we will spend some time on him, especially in the beginning. So as we do each and every week, wherever you are, whether you're across the street in the video venue or at home online, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, you can follow along as I read aloud. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Thank you. You may be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, in order to really appreciate Zacchaeus as an illustration for our talk today, there are a few things I think we need to understand about him before we can move forward, some, some background information, if you will. 
I mean, on the one hand, I think that Luke tells us everything we need to know about him in the first few verses of this chapter. We obviously have his name, and we see that he lived in the city of Jericho. Now, this is a famous city for the people of Israel because of Joshua's conquest of the promised land. But in the time of Jesus, Jericho had been rebuilt, and it was a prosperous trading center. And what this means is that if you wanted to open up a business, Jericho was a great place to set up shop. We learn that Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. This means that he had authority. He had people working for him, Uh, maybe even in other cities. Maybe you could see Jericho as kind of like a regional hub for everything that he had going on in his business. Luke tells us about his profession before he tells us about his income. I think this is important. He wants us to understand that the reason Zacchaeus is wealthy is because he's a tax collector, and that's the the other big important thing. He is a wealthy man. We also learn that he is short, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But Zacchaeus probably didn't come from money. He probably didn't gather it little by little over time and watched it grow He took this job and he made a lot of money off of it. I mean, here in our country, I would say that taxes have been an issue for a lot of people since before we were even a country. This is uh, this morning. It's not. It's not a U.S. history class or anything like that, and it's not going to become one. But when you think back to uh, the reasons that we fought a war for independence hundreds of years ago, you would have to put taxes at the top of the list. They're a big deal. I mean, even today, it's not exactly like we love the IRS, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry if anybody works there. I'm not trying to be mean. It's just kind of a reality, you know. It's just, it's just the truth no matter where you are. And I say that because regardless of how you feel about taxes in our country, regardless of how you feel about taxes in general, what I can tell you about Jewish people living under Roman rule at this time is that they hated taxes, And maybe even more than the taxes themselves, they hated the tax collectors. And if I could think of a stronger word than hate to describe how they felt, I would use it. Here's how it worked. The Romans, they would put heavy taxes on people as a way to keep them impoverished, to keep them under their thumb. Most of the people's wealth was immediately sent back to Rome. And those who lived in these cities in any sort of luxury were the Romans themselves or their cohorts. And tax collectors fell squarely in that category. The Israelites viewed them as traitors because they worked for the Romans. You see, tax collectors had a certain amount that they had to collect for Rome. But anything above that that they could get their hands on was theirs, and this is how they made their wealth. I mean, as you can imagine, these collectors with the full backing of Rome and their soldiers could show up at people's doors and pretty much demand anything and get it. The system was despised. I mean, we see references to how much people hate tax collectors all throughout the Scriptures. Think about, think about the story in, in Matthew's Gospel when Jesus is actually having dinner at Matthew's house. The Pharisees, that they grumble and they mutter about Jesus because he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. It's, it's both. They're, they're all sinners, but one is just so hated, so despised that they have to get their own special 
distinction. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this story, when I hear the story of Zacchaeus, especially now that I'm older and I understand a little bit more about how things worked back then, I ask myself this question, why did he do it? You know, what was his motivation? What led him to this place in life? Why choose this lifestyle? Why work for the Romans knowing that it means you're going to be hated by everyone, you're going to be despised by everyone, that you, you might be the target of assassinations by certain people? Why do it? And you know what? I bet that there are a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me that can come up with some different guesses. But I'll tell you what I believe this morning, and chances are it's the same thing you believe. The answer to the question is one word, money. My guess is that he did it for the money. At some point in Zacchaeus' life, he made a choice that he would rather have money over country, money over friendship, money over anything, everything. You, I mean, you fill in the blank. Money over whatever. He made the choice to be greedy. And decided that no matter what price he had to pay on any sort of moral or social level, the income that he would collect more than made up for it. I mean, have you ever really thought about what you would do in order to get money? We ask the question sometimes, you know, what would you do with a million dollars? What would you do with a million dollars? This is the question, what would you do to get a million dollars? You know, what gray areas would you live in? What baggage would you willingly carry around for the rest of your life because you knew that you had a million dollars. I heard a joke once about a boy who prayed to God for a bicycle. And after nothing happened, he realized that God must not work like that, so he stole a bicycle and then prayed for forgiveness. (laughs) Now, here's the deal. We may not all be that blatant about it, but I think a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, kind of live in that area from time to time. Maybe not always with money, but... We have a tendency to to do that more often than I think we want to admit. Okay, now that we have a bit of a backstory on on tax collectors in Israel and and Zacchaeus and and stuff like that, I want to talk about some points. I want to look at some overall truths when it comes to money. So go ahead and write this down next to number one in your handout. Write down, when you choose money first, it controls you. When you choose money first, it controls you. Well, how is Zacchaeus an example of this? Think about everything that he did in order to get money. I mean, we, we just talked about this. You know, we don't even have to talk about the actual physical cheating of people around him. But think about the fact that he turned his back on Israel, turned his back on God, and basically decided that money was in control of his life. And that meant he would do whatever it took to get as much of it as he possibly could. I know you've heard before that If you don't control your money, then your money controls you. How does it happen? Well, it happens little by little with each choice that we make and each consequence that comes with those choices. Little by little over time. Maybe, and I'm going to stress, I'm going to pause here. I, I, I did this in all the other services, and I want to make sure that I'm very clear about it. Uh, this is speculation on my part, what I'm about to do is speculation, it's guessing, it's not some kind of truth that I'm trying to convince anyone of or anything like that. But, you know, maybe, maybe for Zacchaeus, it didn't start out this way. 
I mean, my guess is that he didn't begin his career as the chief tax collector. I don't know. I don't know how it worked in Rome. I don't know how it worked in the Roman colonies back then uh, with all the details. But my guess is that he did not begin as the chief tax collector. My guess is that he started out at the bottom, like you do at most jobs, and he had to work his way up to the top. And maybe, originally, he wasn't thinking that he wanted to betray his country or to cheat his neighbors. Maybe at one point he just needed a job. Anyone here ever been in that situation? You know, he has student loans. The cost of living is high in his city. He's got a car payment. You know, whatever the reasons, he just needs a job. And so one day he decides, you know, while he doesn't want this to be his career, it doesn't pay too bad. And so he gets in bed with the Roman government to take taxes. And maybe he was honest at first. Maybe he said, you know, I'm only going to do this until I can pay off, you know, this much of my debt or, or get to this situation financially. But, you know, not too long the Romans notice him, and they offer him a promotion. Okay, he thinks, same rules apply. You know, I still don't want to be this guy forever, but this will actually work out in my favor because now I'll even make more money, and I'll get to pay off all of my debts even faster. You know, he justifies it to himself, and so he moves up the ladder. And before too long, it's too late. People know who he is. They know what he does. He's lost friends, he's alone, he becomes more bitter, and he takes more and more comfort in his wealth. You see the direction the story is heading. He makes choice after choice after choice, and before you know it, he's the chief tax collector, and everyone hates him, but it's fine because he's wealthy. He's not well off, he's not in a good place financially, He's wealthy. Now again, I want to stress for a moment that that that's fiction, that's speculation on my part. I don't know. We don't know what led Zacchaeus to where he is in life when we meet him in Luke 19. But I also don't think that the story is so far-fetched that it's impossible to believe. In fact, the story might not be true for Zacchaeus, but it might be true for you. You might have found yourself in a situation, you know, not exactly like his, but in a situation where you just needed a job. You just needed, you know, whatever. And you look back at your life and the choices that you've made, and if you're honest with yourself, you have to say, I have chosen money first, time and time again, and it controls me. I have a book in my office called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York. The tagline for the book is the empty promises of money, sex, and power and the only hope that matters. In the book, he's got a chapter titled Money Changes Everything, and I want you to listen to one of the things he says. He says, Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex, yet almost no one thinks they are guilty of it. Therefore, we should all begin with the working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for me. I don't know. I don't know if anyone here has ever thought of themselves as a greedy person. I don't know if you've ever looked at yourself in the mirror and said, you know what, this is, this is a problem for me. This is an issue that I have. But I also don't know if anyone has ever even asked that question. When we choose money first, regardless 
regardless of the level of income that we have. Greedy is what we are. It's a matter of our heart. We're not going to read these verses, but you can write them down and and look at them later. Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 5, and Ephesians 5, verse 5, that greed is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. And that's important for us this morning to understand because it takes greed from being something of just an outward sin to being an inward one. It is a matter of our hearts. We like to separate ourselves from as much as we can. We like to separate ourselves from our money. You know, that's not who I am. That's just what I do. And while I understand that, on some level, we have to be careful that we're not just justifying our actions so that we feel less guilty. This is what happens when we choose money first. We, we love money. We serve money. And I don't know. Maybe that sounds strange to you that, this morning, to, to serve money. But it means that, that money is our master. We do anything it takes to get more money. We do anything we can to keep our hands on our money. We always know what's happening with our money. And it's not just being good stewards. It's not just keeping track of your bills and your finances. It's an issue. And it doesn't even just end there. Because on the other side of it, when we're not thinking about getting money, we're worried. We experience anxiety over the money that we have. And I'll be real candid with you right now, this morning. I don't need to go to the story of Zacchaeus to talk about this because I can tell you about it in my own life. I I am aware of the anxiety that money causes. I mean, as you can imagine, I've talked to my father about this a number of times. I've talked to my wife about this. I've prayed about it. But but it is a reality in my life that I worry about money. And and I justify it just like everyone else, you know. I want to be a good steward. I want to have a good savings account. I want to be able to provide for my family. You know, the Bible says that a wise man uh, leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I want to be that wise man. But I have to be honest with myself, and I have to admit that time and time again, what I'm experiencing is not wisdom. It's foolishness. It's, it's anxiety. I mean, not that long ago, my wife and I, we were doing our budget. It's the ABCs of financial freedom. What better time, right? So we're doing our budget. We're getting ready for the holidays, uh, which, you know, for our family also means that we're preparing for pretty much every birthday that we have as well. My wife is November 27th. My daughter is December 15th. I'm December 18th, and my son is December 27th. My dad told me that if we had any more kids this time of year, I would no longer be a fillback because I'm killing him. Those were his words. So my wife and I, we're looking at our budget. We're, we're moving things around. You know, we're planning for Thanksgiving. We're planning for Christmas. We're planning for the birthdays. We're trying to prepare for some other expenses that we have coming up. And, and you know, honestly, I can honestly stand up here and say at the end of the day, you know, we put everything where it needed to go. It doesn't mean that we won't make adjustments here and there. But, you know, we did it. Everything's in its place and feel pretty good about it. But when we're done, my wife looked up at me and said, Andrew, you just look so depressed. And, you know, I asked my dad if he thought it was okay for me to tell this story uh, from the stage this morning because, because I don't want anyone to think that I'm complaining about our finances or asking for anything or anything like that because at the end of the day, I know, I know that we're fine, but I just want to be honest and say that I experience this, this anxiety, this, this worry, this fear. 
It's a challenge in my life. I hate spending money. Maybe you can relate to that. When I wrote the first draft of this uh, sermon, the first point was originally just the words, money makes you crazy. Uh, I felt like it was true enough, but I obviously changed it. I felt like I needed to do better. You know, money makes you crazy. Maybe not all the time. Maybe not for everyone. But it definitely has that power. When you choose money first, it controls you. I want you to listen to uh, one more verse this morning before we move on to point number two. Matthew 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And money has the power to be your master. You should never question that. Let's keep moving. Write this down next to number two. The second point is, when you choose money first, it won't be enough. When you choose money first, it won't be enough. Now, I'm not going to spend nearly as much time on this point as I did on the first one because I don't think that I need to. Whether we, you have experienced this in your own life or you've, you've witnessed it in the life of someone else, I think a lot of us know this to be true. I think that Zacchaeus is a great illustration for this point. And I think that we all know why. For all of his wealth, for all of his money, it didn't satisfy him. And we know that because he came looking for Jesus. For everything that he had, for all the luxury that he lived in, he came looking for a Savior. Now, I realize that a lot of people came looking for Jesus. And I realize that not all of these people were looking for Jesus because they wanted to learn from him or because they wanted to follow him or because they wanted to live better lives. But he was different. And I think we see this in the reality that he climbed a tree in order to see Jesus. That may sound a little foolish. That may sound a little thin to you. But I think it's a big deal. I mean, by the time Jesus is walking through Jericho, he'd raised Lazarus from the dead not that long ago in the town of Bethany, which was less than 15 miles from Jericho. So no doubt he had a huge crowd with him, and he had people at Jericho lining the streets, waiting for him to arrive. I mean, how how cool is it to think Jesus is going to be walking through our town, our city. I want to go out and see him. And on some level, I think, yeah, Zacchaeus probably fell into what we could just call the crowd. He wanted to see Jesus like everyone else. He'd heard about him. But we know that there's more than just that. We know there's a deeper level there. I mean, okay, so he's a short man. Couldn't that mean he just stood in front of everyone else? I mean, how many of us have ever been a part of a group picture? We all know where we stand if we're taller or if we're short. It's just the way that it goes. But you see, the people, the religious elite, the the commoners, you know, however you want to classify them, they all hate him. And they're going to do anything they can whenever they have the opportunity to make sure that he can't experience something he wants. And so the crowd is not letting him through. They are not letting him through. It doesn't matter what he says. It doesn't matter how forceful he is. They're not going to budge. The celebrity is making his way through their city, and they want to see him, and they want to make sure that Zacchaeus doesn't. So he climbs a tree. Grown men did not climb trees back then. I mean, there's so many cultural things that that we could talk about, uh, you know, with what life was like 
back then compared to what life is like now. But even saying that, I don't know a lot of grown men that climb trees today. I mean, it was humiliating. It was undignified. It was just another way for people to laugh at him. You know, yeah, he could get them back with their taxes, but they're going to take any chance they can get. It highlights his desperation to see Jesus. You know, why, why would he go through this? Why would this wealthy man who seems to have it all go outside and bother with all the trouble of climbing this tree and putting himself through this humiliation? He wasn't satisfied. He didn't have enough. And obviously, we're not talking about money. We're not talking about materials. He didn't have anything in his life that really mattered. No relationships, no no anything like that. Nothing with eternal value. This isn't the only time in Scripture that we see this reality on display. We're not going to spend, I'm, I'm really just going to mention it. We're not going to spend any time on it. But you can look back at Luke 18 where we meet the rich ruler. This is another man much like Zacchaeus. Only he was actually in a better place because he was obedient to the law. He didn't betray his country. People didn't hate him. They thought he was the best of the best. But we know that his story, his encounter with Jesus, ends much differently than Zacchaeus' does. For all his wealth, for all his obedience to the law, this rich ruler knew that he needed more. He needed something else. He was missing something, and that drew him to Jesus. So Zacchaeus is in the tree. Jesus is walking by, and he stops. And then Jesus actually invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, which is kind of interesting because it's the only time in Scripture we see Jesus invite himself somewhere like that. And how does Zacchaeus respond? You know, does he rub it in the crowd's faces? Uh, does, does he kind of do a, does, does he celebrate it all? No, he, he just welcomes Jesus gladly. He welcomes Jesus gladly. And with that in mind, I want you to write this down next to number three. Third point. When you choose to honor God first, then your money has real value. When you choose to honor God first, then your money has real value. Our story is a great example of this because once Zacchaeus has his encounter with Jesus, we know he's changed. I mean, it's an incredible thing. The religious elite the lowest person on the totem pole, you know, everyone in between in this society, they hate him, they can't stand him. But his willingness to make restitution showed the reality of a change in Zacchaeus' life. And this is important because, you know, when he gives his money away, the Bible says he gives half of his possessions to the poor, and he offers to pay back anyone that he had cheated four times what he had stolen from them. That is not him buying salvation. That's not him earning salvation or anything like that. What it is, is it's a truth that shows he has already been changed. It's not the cause of salvation. It's the effect of salvation. In fact, he goes above and beyond. You know, he offered to give back more, and he gave back more than what the law required of someone in his situation, someone who had cheated others. It cost him, changed the way he lived his life. But it was worth it because he knew that what he gained in his relationship with Jesus was beyond compare. 
beyond compare. You know, the same is true for you and me. We have the same choices that Zacchaeus had. We're probably not in the same position that he was. We probably don't have the same social backlash that he did. But with our wealth, we have the choice, God or money, greed or giving. I want to read a couple of verses from Proverbs chapter 3. They're going to be on the screen behind me. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now we know that the Proverbs aren't absolute truths. They're more like principles and guidelines that show us how we ought to live. And what we see in these couple of verses show us the reality that our wealth is best used when it's honoring God. Our wealth is best used when it's honoring God. And the best way for us to start doing this is with the tithe, the tithe. And this is something that we believe at Mount Pleasant. It's something you know we have talked about before. I'm actually not going to spend that much time talking about it this morning because my dad is going to talk about it more next week as we finish up this ABC's of Financial Freedom series. But this is the best way for you to start giving the first fruits of what God has given you. And just so we're on the same page, when I say tithe, I mean 10%, 10% of your income. It's not whatever you have left. It's not whatever you feel like. And I don't say that to come down on anyone or to sound mean. I say it for the sake of clarity. Because for all of my years being in the church and growing up in the church and visiting multiple churches, there always seems to be some confusion about what the tithe actually means. It means 10%. It's an incredible thing, and it's an important thing for us It has the power to break the bondage of money in our lives. When we we give it away, we realize that it's not ours. We don't live for it, and we trust for God to provide for us in its absence. I think another thing is that we acknowledge the fact that God can do far greater with whatever we give him than we can ever do on our own. And I know that sometimes people balk at the idea of tithing. They say things like, it's an Old Testament thing, and we're New Testament people, so it doesn't apply to us. The reality, though, is that it's so much more than that. I mean, we have, we have examples of tithing in the Old Testament before the law is ever put into practice. We have it, obviously, during the time of the law. We have examples of tithing in the New Testament from Jesus himself. And this is why we talk about tithing. This is why we say it's such a great starting point for giving the first fruits to God. Don't miss that. Let's keep moving. And Brian can come and prepare to play. I talked earlier about Paul saying that greed is an idol. I want to close with this. You know, an idol is something that we put our, our trust in in the place of God. We put our hope in it. When you hear the word idol or think of idolatry, you might think of like a statue or you might think of tribal worship or something, you know, like that. But the truth is, real idolatry is far more subversive and far more dangerous than that. And the reason for this is because anything can be an idol. Anything. Even things that we look at as good. We can make idols out of our families. We can make idols out of our jobs. We can make idols out of our hobbies. You know, whatever it is, whatever you put as the most important thing in your life. Money is an easy and powerful idol because it's neither good nor bad. 
The choices that you and I make determine its value from an eternal standpoint. And the truth is, as fallen people, far too often we make the wrong choices. This morning is all about choice. All about choice. I hope you realize that. And when we think of the choices that we have in our lives, when we think of the choices that we have when it comes to our finances, we need to always remember the choice that God made for us. The choice that Jesus made for us. And when I say that, we think about the cross and we think about his death. And of course, that is an incredible thing. But we also have to think about everything that came with him coming to earth to be one of us. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I want to read you one more quote from that Tim Keller book I referenced earlier. This is what he says in relation to that verse. He says, Jesus, the God-man, had infinite wealth, but if he had held on to it, we would have died in our spiritual poverty. That was the choice. If he stayed rich, we would die poor. If he died poor, we could become rich. Our sins would be forgiven, and we would be admitted into the family of God. What we choose to do with our wealth says a lot more about us than I think we wish it did. I think we wish there was more separation there. But we can't escape this reality. And so my my prayer, my hope, what I've said at the end of every service is that we need to strive to choose God first.